Listen, my sons, to a father's instruction. Pay attention and gain understanding. Well, it's good to be back with you here at North Aurora today. If you go into any um, bookstore today, whether it's the old-fashioned bricks-and-mortar variety, which are slowly disappearing, or the online version of like Amazon.com, you will find whole sections of titles, dozens and dozens of titles like Calculus for Dummies, which I could have really used in high school. Math was a problem. Or iPhones for Dummies, which I could use now, so I don't have to keep asking my kids for how to work my phone. And you notice this one says for seniors. That's a little mean-spirited, I think. Uh, Or being a great dad for dummies, which is appropriate for today, Father's Day. Uh, These books were the bright idea of a guy named Dan Gookin in 1991 when the first one came out. He believed that there was a market for books that boiled a subject down to basic information that anyone could understand. And he was right. There are now hundreds of titles in the Dummies series, over 250 million sold, billions of dollars in revenue. There's even a copycat series called The Complete Idiot's Guide to whatever. A little, little harsher than Dummy, but the same idea. A couple more of my favorite titles. Fishing for Dummies, which I think might be a little redundant, but... Uh, <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, guys. You know. <laughs> or there's, even, there's one called Public Speaking for Dummies, which you might find a little redundant here today. There's even one called The Bible for Dummies. But unfortunately, there's no book entitled Writing a Sermon for Dummies. So we have to do that on our own. Did you know the Bible actually includes a book kind of like that? A book that says things like, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Well, duh, right? Or a man who's too lazy to plow will have no food at harvest. Another duh. Both these little bits of advice come from the ancient book of Proverbs, which could be titled God's Wisdom for Dummies. Right. Today we begin our summer series called Proverbs, the Pursuit of Wisdom. And the book of Proverbs is, uh, what, is part of what scholars call the wisdom literature of the Bible. Uh, there's five books sort of in the center of your Bible that are called wisdom literature. They're not history. They're not gospel. They're not biography. They're not letters. They're wisdom literature, collections of wisdom that God gave to his people. Uh, The Psalms, Book of Job, Song of Songs, Ecclesiastes, and the Book of Proverbs. And the last three of those, uh, Song of Songs, Ecclesiastes, and Proverbs, are generally attributed to King Solomon. That is, he wrote them or he assembled them uh, during his lifetime. And Solomon, by the way, lived about 950 years before Jesus. So nearly 3,000 years ago. Now Solomon was the son of King David, and when God uh, told Solomon that he could ask for anything he wanted, it was in a dream before he became king, uh, Solomon didn't ask for more money, although he became very wealthy, didn't ask for um, fame, although he became very famous, he asked for wisdom. And we see in 1 Kings 4 that God gave him wisdom. God gave Solomon wisdom and very great insight, and a breadth of understanding as measureless as the sand on the seashore. Solomon's wisdom was greater than the wisdom of all the people of the East, and greater than all the wisdom of Egypt. 
Solomon was a very wise man. But interestingly and tragically, if you read through the Old Testament, you see that Solomon did not remain faithful to the wisdom God had given him. He took, for example, 700 wives and 300 concubines. Not the smartest idea. (laughs) He built places of worship for pagan idols at the end of his reign. In short, the nation of Israel never really fully recovered from the sins of Solomon. So even though God had given them wisdom, that's, the, that's what happened. And yet the book of Proverbs, which he, Solomon gives us, is filled with hundreds, hundreds of these short, pithy sayings that show how God's wisdom can benefit our lives and bring honor and glory to him. And, but as we begin, I want to explain something, that, that proverb, a proverb is different from a promise. So you can't read a proverb the same way you might read a promise. Like the Bible is full of promises, the absolute truths like, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's a promise. That's the gospel. But a proverb isn't a promise. It's more like a principle. It's more like a a general truth. And we all know what a proverb is because we use them all the time. We say them all the time without realizing it. Like a father who says to a son, son, hard work pays off. Or like, don't judge a book by its, or laughter is the best, or a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush, right? We actually had an argument about that at preaching team this week. Joe Scavato was saying that it really should be a bird, a bird in the hand is worth two in the tree. Bush, birds, I said, no, I see bushes, birds in bushes. We had a big argument about bushes and trees. <laughs> or my favorite proverb, the early bird gets the, but the second mouse gets the cheese, right? Got to think about that one. The book of Proverbs, <laughs> you with me? You still awake, right? The book of Proverbs contains over 500 of these. Generalizations about how life works, about how even a dummy can live wisely. So we're going to look at the first seven verses of Proverbs chapter 1. You can look in your Bibles or on the screens. I'm going to read through the, all seven verses, and then we're going to go back through it a couple different times to point out some different, different things for us today. Proverbs begins, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction in prudent behavior, doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning, and let the discerning get guidance for understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. We're going to dig into three um, things in this passage. What wisdom is, what wisdom requires, and what, how wisdom, where wisdom begins. First, what wisdom is. Uh, I came across this little story a number of years ago, but it was about uh, TV actor and comedian Drew Carey. He was invited to give a commencement address at Cleveland State University. And in that address, he uh, said this to graduating college seniors. this This is the advice you're giving to college seniors going out into the world. He said, quote, set goals, drink beer, and value what's in your heart. Set goals, drink beer, value what's in your heart. Does that sound like wisdom to you? Now, he went on to acknowledge that that very strategy caused him to flunk out of college but then ended by saying, but look at me now, I'm a millionaire. So evidently, 
Mr. Carey had not read the book of Proverbs because it says in Proverbs 23, do not join those who drink too much wine or gorge themselves on meat for drunkards and gluttons become poor and drowsiness clothes them in rags. So when it comes to wisdom, can we do a little bit better than set goals and drink beer? I think we can. Again, beginning of Proverbs. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction in prudent behavior, doing what is right and just and fair. Now, the Hebrew word translated wisdom is chokmah, and it carries uh, another meaning as well. A lot of Hebrew words, Hebrew was a much more limited language than English, fewer words, so words were more flexible. Um, and this word wisdom could also be translated skill like how to do something well. In Exodus, we see God tells Moses to build the tabernacle, gives him specific instructions about how this place of worship is to be built, and then Moses chooses particularly gifted artisans and craftsmen. Here's what it says in Exodus 35. He, God, has filled them with skill. Same word, hakmah, that's used for wisdom. He has filled them with skill to do all kinds of work as engravers, designers, embroiderers in blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and fine linen, and weavers, all of them skilled, hokma, workers and designers. So wisdom could be defined as the skill of living rightly before God. Wisdom is the skill of living, but living rightly before God. And these opening verses say at least three things about gaining that skill of wisdom. First, wisdom is instruction. Wisdom is instruction. Uh, for a couple of years while I was in college, I'm going to tell several stories today. Proverbs is a great uh, invitation to tell stories about wisdom and the opposite of wisdom. But for a couple of years in college, uh, my parents lived on a small lake in Orlando, Florida. And at some point, my dad got a hold of a small sailboat and he went on to fall in love with sailing. And he would sail it back and forth. This is a little small lake. He learned how to sail into the wind, with the wind, all that stuff. So one summer when I was home for just a, a month or so, I met a, a girl. I no longer remember her name. And I'm sure she doesn't remember my name because of the story I'm going to tell you. Um, I wanted to take her out on a date. And I thought I would impress her by taking her out sailing in the boat before going to dinner. I mean, what could be more impressive and romantic than that, right? So I asked my dad, can I use the sailboat? He said, sure, but he needed to teach me how to sail first. Uh, I thought, okay. So the day before the date, he took me out to the little sailboat and took me on, on the, on the uh, lake to show me how to sail it. He says, you know, here's the rudder, here's how the sails work, here's how to pull the ropes, here's how you tie them down, make sure you put the keel down, you know, blah, 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 blah. I mean, how hard could it be? My dad could do it. So next day I pick up my date, we go get on the boat. And I put the sail up, and away we We just shot out onto the, onto the lake. The wind was strong, and I'm like swashbuckling sea captain. We're going, and then a couple of minutes into the sail, I realized that I was having trouble steering the boat. You know, it, it wouldn't react to the rudder. It was just kept, it's, we kept, we're blowing straight across the lake. And three minutes later, we, we ran st straight into these high reeds on the far side of the lake. And I was stuck. I know I had no idea what to do. So I had to jump out of the boat up to here in the water, grab the rope, and walk it all the way around the side of the lake back to my parents' house and our little beach there. By the time I got there, I was really fuming. My dad was standing waiting for us on the beach with this annoying grin on his face. And I walked up. I said, your boat doesn't work. And he said, did you remember to put the keel down? And I said, Keel? And I can't tell you how many times over the years my dad teased me about the day I took the sailboat for a walk. 
Wisdom is instruction. Secondly, wisdom is understanding and insight. Wisdom is more than knowing things, more than intelligent. After all, very, very smart people can do some very, very dumb things, right? Including taking sailboats for walks. Years ago, I read about a university-trained engineer. This is a true story. A university-trained engineer who wanted to grill some steaks. We're going to grill out today, Father's Day. It's kind of our favorite thing. Uh, so I'm going to do the grilling because it's fun. But he was going to grill out some steaks on his back deck, but he got frustrated with how long it was taking his charcoal grill to heat up to the right temperature. So being an engineer, he knew some things. So he decided to inject a little liquid nitrogen into the burning charcoals. It burned up his steaks, his grill, and the deck in four seconds. And he was lucky to survive. So he was smart. He knew a lot of things, but he lacked wisdom. Thirdly, wisdom produces prudent behavior, Proverbs says. Now, prudent just means, it's a really unique word. It means making the right decision at the right time for the right reasons. Now, the engineer was intelligent, but his behavior was not prudent. Solomon says, and notice here, that there's a moral component to the wisdom of God. It's not just knowing things and doing helpful things, it's got a moral component because he says wisdom is doing what is right, and the word there means righteous before God. That is, we do what is right before God, and then he says that which is just and fair. That's referring to others. So wisdom is doing what's right before God and what's right and just in human relationships. So we can summarize by saying wisdom is the intersection of instruction, understanding, and behavior. What wisdom is. Secondly, Proverbs tells us what wisdom requires. What wisdom requires. Um, I graduated from college in the late 70s and from a small school in North Carolina, Davidson College, about 20 miles outside of Charlotte. Small town, uh, only one stoplight when I was going to school there. Uh, but uh, just a block or two away from the campus was a, a, an old water tower. I mean, an ancient water tower. You rusted and stuff like you see all around the south. And it was surrounded by a high chain-link fence, about eight-foot-high chain-link fence that had a big sign on it that said, no trespassing, violators will be prosecuted. So, of course, it was tradition for college students to try to climb the water tower. And so late one night, late my senior year, um, we were hanging out, uh, like 20 of us, maybe more. Um, and just springtime, school's almost over, we're having a good time, and uh, someone says, hey, let's go climb the water tower. It's like one in the morning. Let's go climb the water tower. So surely enough, everybody goes trooping across and goes to the water tower sometime after midnight, climb over the fence, eight feet, eight feet tall, ignoring the big sign that's right there. The big sign is right there. We climb right over that and start up this rickety ladder that's attached to the water tower. Now, this water tower is like 75 feet high, and nobody's tested out this ladder. We just know people, people have climbed it before. And I don't like heights. So I'm in the middle of this group, and about halfway up this ladder, I mean, I, I'm not even comfortable getting up on the ladder to change a light bulb in my house. I just don't like the feeling of it. I'm not phobic, but I'm, I don't like heights. But I get about halfway up, so I'm like 30 feet up this thing. There's people climbing up the ladder ahead of me. There's people behind me. And I suddenly realized a whole handful of things at that moment. I realized, first of all, I didn't want to be doing this. I didn't like heights. Secondly, it was really dangerous. It was dark. I had no idea how old this ladder was. I had no idea last time it was tested. The science said danger, right? Every, I realized then everyone above me on the ladder had been drinking all night. I had not been, but they had been. I realized if one of those guys loses his grip, we're all goners. That's really dumb. 
Uh, I couldn't go down because there were people behind me, mostly girls. And so to ask them to get down so I could get down because I was a scaredy cat wasn't an option. So I was stuck. I realized I'd made a very unwise decision. So I, 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 I was terrified, so I prayed. You know, a foxhole prayer. What I prayed was something like this. If you get me down from here, I will never do something this stupid or dumb. I'm not supposed to say stupid. We tell our granddaughter, don't say stupid. I'll never do something this dumb again. And I'm not sure, but I think in that moment I heard God whisper back. And he said something like, okay, okay, but did you notice the sign I put on there for you? And by the way, I have a whole book on this stuff in the Bible if you would just read it, right? I did make it down safely, but the next day I realized my legs were sore. I had bruises all up and down my shins, and I realized I had been so scared. My legs were shaking against the ladder so hard I bruised my legs. But that's my, and I'll come back to that water tower story a little bit later. Again, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction in prudent behavior, doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and instruction to the young, and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning. Let the discerning get guidance for understanding Proverbs and parables and sayings and riddles of the wise. He's saying, first of all, wisdom requires a teachable spirit. And by teachable spirit, I mean a readiness and willingness to receive instruction. And to receive instruction requires, almost by definition, to some degree of humility. You have to take a posture of humility to be able to receive instruction. I've coached a little bit through my life. Way back in college, I coached some college athletes. I coached young base, you know, child, travel baseball players, kids playing ball. And I've learned over the years there, there are two kinds of athletes, and I think this applies to just two kinds of people, but two kinds of athletes. The first kind are guys who are hungry to learn. I mean, they soak up whatever you want to tell them. If you give them a little bit of advice, they listen, and they try immediately to put that into practice and how they're playing or how they're shooting a ball or how they're swinging a bat. But there are other guys, even as young as nine years old, who, who kind of already have one foot in the Hall of Fame, you know? And you give them a little bit of advice, hey, maybe you want to choke up in the bat a little bit, and they look right back at you and say, but this is how I do it. This is how I hold it. This is why Solomon says, let the wise listen. Back to the sailboat, I wound up in the reeds because I did not have a particularly teachable spirit at that moment. My dad was instructing me, I wasn't receiving the instructions. You know, I failed to listen, therefore I was not wise, and the outcome was not good. As one writer puts it, the world says, live and learn. Live and learn. And God's trying to tell us, learn and live. Learn and live. Secondly, wisdom requires the application of knowledge. Knowledge is necessary, but just knowing things doesn't make us wise. I mean, you could memorize the entire book of Proverbs. I'm not going to challenge you to do that. It still wouldn't make you wise. You could memorize the whole Bible, and it wouldn't necessarily make you wise. Wisdom is applying knowledge to our decisions and behavior. Verse 4 says, For giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to the learning, and let the, learning, and let the discerning get guidance. So discretion there is not just knowing facts. It's knowing how to apply those facts or that knowledge to life situations in a way that produces good results. Now notice, Paul, uh, not Paul, we talked about Paul for the last nine weeks. Solomon tells, mentions three different categories of people here that need wisdom. First, he mentions the simple. Verse 4 says, For giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. 
Now, the word simple does not mean simple-minded. It's not like a negative thing. It means rather one who is simply young, maybe naive, inexperienced, maybe doesn't know any better, but is open, is willing to learn and willing to receive instruction, realizes that he or she is not yet wise. And the simple and young who are open will receive prudence, knowledge, and discretion. So there's the simple, the young. There's also the wise, he says. Verse 5, let the wise listen and add to their learning. Let the discerning get guidance. What I, what I notice here is that the wise person is not the know-it-all person. You know, we all know someone who we would call a know-it-all. The, those people are a little hard to be around uh, because they, they, they don't listen very well and they, don't, they can't be taught. We're not talking about that kind of person. We're talking about wise people who are always ready to learn. And I've learned over the years, just through church, for example, that many of the, some of the wisest people I've known who I would go to for advice are themselves always willing to learn and always trying to learn, and that, in fact, is what's made them wise. And then there's a third kind of person. If we jump ahead to verse 7, we see the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. We'll talk about that in a minute. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. He's talking about the fool. That's the third category. Now, Proverbs is going to have a lot to say this summer about foolish people. What is a foolish person? And the folly of the foolish person. But here it just says simply that the fool is one who is unteachable, who despises instruction. A fool is someone, for example, um, who you know, goes to church and hears a sermon and thinks immediately, well, I know a lot of people that really need to hear that. Or worse yet, a preacher who preaches and thinks only those people out there need to hear that, not me. See, a fool is one who despises wisdom and resists instruction. In that water tower story, I was young, maybe 20, 21 years old, so maybe you can explain it away by being young and immature and inexperienced. But I was also among the fools because the instruction was right there. It was written right there. And I didn't consult anyone about wisdom who was older than myself. So in a way, I despised wisdom and instruction. That's what a fool does. So thirdly, we see from where wisdom, where wisdom begins. So we have what wisdom is, what wisdom requires, and where wisdom begins. Verse 7 again. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. This is the entire theme, the central theme of the entire book of Proverbs. It's this theme, the fear of the Lord, is repeated over 20 times in Proverbs, over 200 times in the whole Bible, the fear of the Lord. One writer said, if you distilled the entire book of Proverbs down to one drop, it would be verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But what does it mean to fear the Lord? Now, the word fear here in the Hebrew can mean both terror, like opening your door to walk outside in the morning and finding a grizzly bear standing there, terror, or it can be respect or awe. And both meanings are appropriate, I think, when it comes to God. In Hebrews 12, we read, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, we've received the gospel, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. I've always been intrigued by that last phrase. For our God is a consuming fire. I think the Bible teaches us that there's a relationship between fear and worship when it comes to who God is. 
That is, if God, our idea of God, is not a God who is worthy to be feared, then neither is he a God worthy of our worship. Because the Bible does present us with a God of power, of unimaginable power, who could speak the world into existence, a God of absolute righteousness, who one day will judge all that is unrighteous and has the authority to do so, and a God of absolute holiness, a consuming fire. That's what that means. Therefore, is a fearsome God. C.S. Lewis said it this way, In God, you come up against something which is in every respect immeasurably superior to yourself. Unless you know God as that, and therefore know yourself as nothing in comparison, you do not know God at all. I think that's true. And yet, we are told so many times in Scripture, fear not. Fear not. Because in all his power, in all his authority, in all his holiness, God has chosen to love us and save us through his son, the Lord Jesus. In fact, in Proverbs 14, we read, whoever fears the Lord has a secure fortress, and for their children will be a refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life, turning a person from the snares of death. I'm going to say three things about the fear of the Lord today. There's a lot we could say, but the fear of the Lord, first of all, is to acknowledge that He is the source of all truth. To acknowledge that God speaks truth. Uh, when I was in college, I had to take a class, one science class, because I wasn't a science major. The class I took was a, like a beginning astronomy class, kind of dumbed down for non-science majors. And I sat way in the back of the class with a couple of buddies, just had to take the class. And at one point, early in the semester, Professor is trying to explain something called the red shift, which I had no idea. I still struggle to know what it means. It's about the Doppler effect in the, in the, in the, in the, the spectrum of visible light. And he, sa- he said, if you look up at the sky, uh, there's uh, so many stars in the universe that every time we look up at the sky at night, there should be a point of light. Everywhere we look should be a point of light, but it's not. The sky is mostly dark. Why is that? He says it's because there's a red shift. Because the universe is expanding so fast, the stars are moving away from each other so fast, the speed's so great, their light is shifted out of the visible spectrum, therefore we can't see it with our naked eye. And at that point, my buddy Mike, who was sitting right next to me, just shut his notebook and went under his breath, I don't have to believe that. (laughs) I don't have to believe that. And we live in a culture, in a world where a lot of people say, ah, I don't have to believe that. I I can decide what's true for me. I can live my own truth. I can determine my own destiny. I can determine my own identity. I can set goals, drink beer, and follow my heart. But the Bible says, the heart is deceitful above all things, and beyond cure, who can understand it? On the other hand, the Bible also says that I can trust the truth of God's Word. Your Word is a lamp for my feet, a light for my path. literally shows me which way to go, shows me how to live a wise life. The Apostle Paul says it like this, the New Testament, 2 Timothy 3, all Scripture, God's Word is God-breathed or inspired, useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. That sounds like wisdom. So to fear God is, is to know that recognize He is the source of all truth, that He knows better than we know. It means to humble ourselves before His truth and His wisdom. Secondly, to fear God is to recognize that Jesus is the wisdom of God. We just got finished studying for nine weeks in Colossians. And in Colossians chapter 2, Paul says, my goal is that they, talking to the 
Colossian church may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Paul's saying if you want to know what God is like, you look at Jesus. If you want to know what God thinks, study what Jesus taught. If you want to know how much God loves you, look at what Jesus did. Look at the cross. And if you want to know what God's plan is for you, if you want to know how to live your life, then follow him. Follow Jesus. That's what fearing God means. And lastly, to fear God is to trust that through Christ we receive the guidance of the Holy Spirit. In John 14, Jesus is teaching his disciples before leaving them, and he says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate, talking about the Holy Spirit, to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. Later in the same evening, he says, but when he, the Spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit comes, he will guide you into all truth. So I want to wrap up this first opening session on Colossians by going back to the sailboat one more time. My dad has said, remember to put the keel down. Now, you may not be familiar with boats. I'm not a sailor. But that little boat that he had, the keel was in the very center of the boat. It was a long piece of wood that you had to drop down. It would go down below the boat into the water. The rudder was in the back of the boat that you used to steer. And both were necessary to navigate the boat. I see a little bit of an analogy here, and stick with me. I think the book of Proverbs is telling us that wisdom is like the rudder of the boat. It's what we use to navigate through our lives in a way that's productive for us, good for us, and honoring to God. But the keel, the keel of the boat, the centerpiece that goes down to the water that makes everything else work is Christ, is Jesus. He is the center. And when we allow him to be the center of our lives, God's wisdom then directs and guides us successfully. But if Jesus is not the center, if we've not trusted his love, trusted his forgiveness, his grace, his promise, if we've not trusted his spirit that dwells within us, then we're going to struggle. We're going to struggle to hear his instruction. We're going to struggle to apply his instruction is in his truth to our lives. And in short, we're going to struggle to walk in wisdom. So this first little portion of Proverbs, I think we can summarize by saying, wisdom is the skill of living rightly before God, and to seek wisdom is to seek Jesus. Let me pray for us as we close. Lord, thank you so much for what we begin to study today, the book of Proverbs, this ancient book that's filled with so many bits of, of your advice, of divine advice. Remind each one of us that, our wis that your wisdom is for us. It's so easy for us to look around at the world and for me to look around at the world and see so much brokenness and think, how, how can people be so foolish? But help us, help me to read and hear your word with humility and openness to receive that you have, that you want to say things to us. So Teach us your truth, and by your Spirit, help us to apply your truth to how we live. In Jesus' name, amen. For the benediction today, I chose words from Colossians that we just studied, chapter 1, Paul's words to the Colossians and to us. May we go now in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ.
And may you be filled with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and pleasing him in every way. Amen. Have a happy Father's Day. 